Chapter 13 The Shaking of the Sheets Her proper bed in the castle's black-and-white chamber was so much better than the dungeon, even though Tiffany had missed the soothing burps of the goats. She dreamed of fire again, and she was being watched. She could feel it, and it wasn't the goats this time. She was being watched inside her head, but it wasn't bad watching. Someone was caring for her. And in the dream the fire raged, and a dark figure pulled aside the flames as though they were curtains, and there was the hare sitting by the dark figure as if she was a pet. The hare caught Tiffany's eye and jumped into the fire. And Tiffany knew. Somebody knocked at the door. Tiffany was suddenly awake. "'Who's there?' A voice on the other side of the heavy door said, "'What sound does forgetfulness make?' She hardly had to think. "'It's the sound of the wind in dead grasses on a hot summer's day.' "'Yes, I think that would about do it,' said Preston's voice from the other side of the door. "'To get right to the point, miss, there's a lot of people downstairs, miss. I think they need their witch.' It was a good day for a funeral, Tiffany thought, looking out of the narrow castle window. It shouldn't rain on a funeral. It made people too gloomy. She tried not to be gloomy at funerals. People lived and died and were remembered. It happened in the same way that winter followed summer. It was not a wrong thing.' There were tears, of course, but they were for those who were left. Those who had gone on did not need them. The staff had been up very early, and the long tables had been put out in the hall to make a breakfast for all comers. That was a tradition. Rich or poor, lord or lady, the funeral breakfast was there for everyone, and out of respect for the old baron, and also out of respect for a good meal, the hall was filling up. The duchess was also there, in a black dress that was more black than any black Tiffany had ever seen before. The dress gleamed. The black dress of the average witch was usually only theoretically black. In reality, it was often rather dusty, and quite possibly patched in the vicinity of the knees, and somewhat ragged at the hems, and, of course, very nearly worn through by frequent washings. It was what it was, working clothes. You couldn't imagine a duchess delivering a baby in that dress. Tiffany blinked. She could imagine the duchess doing just that. If it was an emergency, she would. She would bully and complain and order people around, but she would do it. She was that kind of person. Tiffany blinked again. Her head felt crystal clear. The world seemed understandable but slightly fragile, as if it could be broken like her mirror ball. "'Good morning, miss.' That was Amber, and behind her both her parents, Mr. Petty looking scrubbed and sheepish and also quite bashful. He clearly didn't know what to say, nor did Tiffany. There was a stir at the main doors, and Roland hurried in that direction and came back with King Verence of Lanka and Magrat, his queen. Tiffany had met them before. You couldn't help meeting them in Lanka, which was a very small kingdom, and even smaller when you took into consideration that Granny Weatherwax lived there too. And Granny Weatherwax was here, right here and now, with you. You had been a sad little white kitten when Tiffany had given her to the old witch. Now she was a queen far more snobbish than the Duchess. She must have recognised Tiffany, because she graciously condescended to blink at her and then look away as if bored. There were never any mice in Granny's cottage these days. You just stared at them until they realised how worthless they were and slunk away. You was lying across her shoulders like a scarf, behind the king and queen, and just in front of a huge jolly voice that shouted, "'Watch her, Tiff! How's your belly off of spots?' which meant that a couple of feet below it, but hidden by reasons of size, was Nanny Og, rumoured by some to be cleverer than Granny Weatherwax, and clever enough, at least, not to let her find out. Tiffany bowed to them, as was the custom. She thought, they gather, do they? She smiled at Granny Weatherwax and said, Very pleased to see you here, Mistress Weatherwax, and a little surprised. 
Granny stared at her, but Nanny Og said, "'It's a long, bumpy ride down from Nanka, and so the two of us thought we'd give Magrat and her king a nice ride down.' Possibly Tiffany was imagining it, but Nanny Og's explanation sounded like something she'd been working on for a little while. It felt as if she were reciting a script. But there was no more time to talk. The arrival of the king had triggered something in the air, and for the first time Tiffany saw Pastor Egg in a black-and-white robe. She adjusted her pointy hat and walked over to him. He seemed quite glad of the company, which is to say that he gave her a grateful smile. "'Ah, a witch, I see. Yes, the pointy hat is a bit of a giveaway, isn't it?' she said. "'But not a black dress, I notice.' Tiffany heard the question mark as it went past. "'When I am old, I shall wear midnight,' she said. "'Entirely appropriate,' said the pastor. "'But now you wear green, white, and blue, the downland colours I can't help remarking.' Tiffany was impressed. "'So you're not interested in witch-finding, then?' She felt a bit silly for asking outright, but she was on edge. Pastor Egg shook his head. "'I can assure you, madam, that the Church has not been seriously involved in that sort of thing for hundreds of years. Unfortunately, some people have long memories. Indeed, it was only a matter of a few years ago that the famous Pastor Oates said in his renowned Testament from the Mountains that the women known as witches embody, in a caring and practical way, the very best ideals of Brother the Prophet. That's good enough for me. I hope it's good enough for you. Tiffany gave him her sweetest smile, which wasn't all that sweet, however hard you tried. She never really got the hang of sweet. It's important to be clear about these things, don't you think? She sniffed and noticed no odour other than a hint of shaving cream. Even so, she was going to have to be on her guard. It was a good funeral, too. From Tiffany's point of view, a good funeral was one where the main player was very old. She had been to some, too many, where they were small and wrapped in a shroud. Coffins were barely known on the chalk, and indeed nearly anywhere else. Decent timber was too expensive to be left to rot underground. A practical white woollen shroud did for most people. It was easy to make, not too expensive, and good for the wool industry. The Baron, however, went to his eternal rest inside a tomb of white marble, which, him being a practical man, he had designed, bought, and paid for twenty years ago. There was a white shroud inside it, because marble can be a bit chilly to lie on. And that was the end of the old Baron, except that only Tiffany knew where he really was. He was walking with his father in the stubbles, where they burned the cornstalks and the weeds, a perfect late summer's day, one never-changing perfect moment held in time. She gasped. The drawing! Even though she'd spoken under her breath, people around turned to look. She thought, how selfish of me, and then thought, surely it will still be there. As soon as the lid of the stone tomb had been slid into place with a sound that Tiffany would always remember, she went and found Brian, who was blowing his nose. When he looked up at her, he was pink around the eyes. She took him gently by the arm, trying not to sound urgent. The room that the Baron was living in, is it locked? He looked shocked. I should say so, and the money is in the big safe in the office. Why do you want to know? There was something very valuable in there, a leather folder. Did that get put in the big safe too? The sergeant shook his head. Believe me, Tiff, after the, uh, he hesitated, bit of trouble, I did an inventory of everything in that room. Not a thing went out from there without me seeing it and putting it down in my notebook. "'With my pencil,' he added, for maximum accuracy. "'Nothing like a leather folder was taken out, I'm sure of it.' "'No, because Miss Spruce had already taken it,' Tiffany said. "'That wretched nurse! "'I didn't mind about the money, because I never expected the money. "'Maybe she thought it had deeds in it or something.' "'Tiffany hurried back to the hall and looked around. 
Roland was the Baron now in every respect, and it was in respect that people were clustering around him, saying things like, "'He was a very good man, and he'd had a good innings, and at least he didn't suffer, and all the other things people say after a funeral when they don't know what to say.' And now Tiffany headed purposefully towards the Baron, and stopped when a hand landed on her shoulder. She followed the arm up to the face of Nanny Og, who had managed to obtain the biggest flagon of ale that Tiffany had ever seen. To be precise, she noticed it was a half-full flagon of ale. "'Nice to see something like this done well,' said Nanny. "'Never knew the old boy, of course, but he sounds like a decent fellow. "'Nice to see you, Tiff. Managing all right?' Tiffany looked into those innocent, smiling eyes and passed them to the much sterner face of Granny Weatherwax and the brim of her hat. Tiffany bowed. Granny Weatherwax cleared her throat with a sound like gravel. "'We ain't here on business, my girl. "'We just wanted to help the king make a good entrance.' "'We are not here about the cunning man, neither,' Nanny Og added cheerfully. "'It sounded like a simple and silly giveaway.' and Tiffany heard a disapproving sniff from Granny. But generally speaking, when Nanny Og came out with a silly, embarrassing comment by accident, it was because she had thought about it very carefully beforehand. Tiffany knew this, and Nanny certainly knew that Tiffany knew, and Tiffany knew that too. But it was often the kind of way that witches behaved, and it all worked perfectly if nobody picked up an axe. "'I know this is my problem. I will sort it out,' she said. This was, on the face of it, a really stupid thing to say. The senior witches would be very useful to have at her side. But how would that look? This was a new steading, and she had to be proud. You couldn't say, I have done difficult and dangerous things before, because that was understood. What did matter was what you did today. It was a matter of pride. It was a matter of style. And it was also a matter of age. In twenty years' time, perhaps, if she asked for help, people would think, well, even an experienced witch can run up against something really unusual and they would help as a matter of course. But now, if she asked for help, well, people would help. Witches always helped other witches. But everyone would think, was she really any good? Can't she last the distance? Is she strong enough for the long haul? No one would say anything, but everyone would think it. All this was the thought of a second, and when she blinked, the witches were watching her. "'Self-reliance is a witch's best friend,' said Granny Weatherwax, looking stern. Nanny Og nodded in agreement and added, "'You can always rely on self-reliance. I've always said so.' She laughed at Tiffany's expression. "'Do you think you're the only one to have to deal with the cunning man, love? Granny here had to deal with him when she was your age. She sent him back to where he came from in very short order. Trust me on that.' Knowing that it was useless, but attempting it anyway, Tiffany turned to Granny Weatherwax and said, "'Can you give me any tips, Mistress Weatherwax?' Granny, who was already drifting purposefully towards the buffet lunch, stopped for a moment and turned and said, "'Trust yourself!' She walked a few steps further, and stood as if lost in thought, and added, "'And don't lose!' Nanny Og slapped Tiffany on the back. "'Never met the bugger myself, but I hear he's pretty bad. Here, is the blushing bride having a night tonight?' The old lady winked, and poured the remaining contents of the flagon down her throat. Tiffany tried to think quickly. Nanny Og got on with everyone. Tiffany had only a vague idea of what a hen knight was, but some of Mrs. Proust's stock gave her a few clues, and if Nanny Og knew about them too, it was a certainty that alcohol was involved. "'I don't think it's appropriate to have a party like that on a night after a funeral, do you, Nanny? Though I think Letitia might enjoy a little talk,' she added. "'She's your chum, isn't she? I would have thought you'd have had a little talk with her yourself.' "'I did,' Tiffany protested, "'but I don't think she believed me. And you've had at least three husbands, Nanny.' Nanny Og stared at her for a moment, and then said, "'That's quite a lot of conversation, I suppose. All right. But what about the young man? When's his stagnite going to be?' "'Ah, I've heard of those. 
It's where his friends get him drunk, take him a long way away, tie him to a tree, and then... I think a bucket of paint and a brush is involved sometimes, but usually they throw him in the pigsty. Why do you ask? Oh, the stag knight is always much more interesting than the hen knight, said Nanny, a look of mischief in her eye. Has the lucky groom got any chums? Well, there are some knobby lads from the other posh families, but the only people he really knows live here in the village. We all grew up together, you see, and none of them would dare throw the baron in a pigsty. What about your young man over there? Nanny gestured towards Preston, who was standing nearby. He always seemed to be standing nearby. Preston, said Tiffany, I don't think he knows the baron very well, and in any case, she stopped and thought, young man? She turned and looked at Nanny, who was standing with her hands behind her back and her face turned towards the ceiling with the expression of an angel, although admittedly one who might have met a few demons in her time. And that was Nanny all over. When it came to affairs of the heart, or indeed of any other parts, you couldn't fool Nanny Og. But he's not my young man, she insisted to herself. He's just a friend, who is a boy. Preston stepped forward and removed his helmet in front of Nanny. I fear, madam, that it would be against the rules for me as a military man to lay a hand on my commanding officer, he said. Were it not for that, I would do so with alacrity. Nanny nodded appreciatively at the polysyllabic response and gave Tiffany a wink that made her blush to the soles of her boots. Nanny Og's grin was now so wide you could fit it onto a pumpkin. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, she said. I can see this place needs a little fun. Thank goodness I'm here. Nanny Og had a heart of gold, but if you were easily shocked, then it was best to stick your fingers in your ears when she said anything. Yet there had to be common sense, didn't there? Nanny, we're at a funeral. But her tone of voice would never make Nanny Og swerve. Was he a good man? Tiffany hesitated only for a moment. He grew into goodness. Nanny Og noticed everything. Oh, yes, your granny aching taught him his manners, I believe. But he died a good man, then. Good. Will he be remembered with fondness? Tiffany tried to ignore the lump in her throat and managed to say, Oh, yes, by everybody. And you saw to it that he died well, kept the pain away? Nanny, if I say it myself, he had a perfect death. The only better death would have been not to die. Well done, said Nanny. Did he have a favourite song, do you know? Oh, yes, it's the larks they sang melodious, said Tiffany. Ah, I reckon that's the one we call pleasant and delightful back home. Just follow me, will you, and we'll soon get them in the right mood. And with that, Nanny Og grabbed a passing waiter by the shoulder, took a full flagon from his tray, jumped up onto a table, as lively as a girl, and shouted for silence in a voice as brisk as the sergeant major. Ladies and gentlemen, to celebrate the good life and easeful passing of our late friend and baron, I have been asked to sing his favourite song. Do join in with me if you've got the breath. Tiffany listened, enthralled. Nanny Og was a one-woman master-class, or rather mistress-class, in people. She treated perfect strangers as if she had known them for years, and somehow they acted as if she really had. Dragged along, as it were, by an extremely good singing voice for one old woman with one tooth, perplexed people were raising their voices beyond a mumble by the second line, and by the end of the first verse were harmonising like a choir, and she had them in her hand. Tiffany wept and saw, through the tears, a little boy in his new tweed jacket that smelled of wee, walking with his father under different stars. And then she saw the glisten of tears on the faces, including the faces of Pastor Egg and even the Duchess. The echoes were of loss and remembrance, and the hall itself breathed. I should have learned this, she thought. I wanted to learn fire and pain, but I should have learned people. I should have learned how not to sing like a turkey. The song had finished, and people were looking around sheepishly at one another, but Nanny Og's boot was already making the table rock. 
"'Dance, dance, the shaking of the sheets. "'Dance, dance, when you hear the piper playing,' she sang. "'Tiffany thought, "'Is this the right song for a funeral?' "'And then she thought, "'Of course it is. "'It's a wonderful tune, and it tells us that one day all of us will die, "'but, and this is the important thing, we are not dead yet.' "'And now Nanny Og had jumped off the table, "'grabbed a hold of Pastor Egg, "'and as she spun him round she sang, "'Be assured no preacher can keep death away from any man.' "'and he had the grace to smile and dance with her. "'People applauded, not something Tiffany would ever have expected at a funeral. "'She wished, oh, how she wished, to be like Nanny Og, "'who understood things and knew how to hammer silence into laughter. "'And then, as the applause died away, a male voice sang, "'Down in the valley, the valley so low, "'hang your head easy, hear the wind blow.' "'And silence stood aside in the face of the unexpectedly silver voice of the sergeant.' Nanny Og drifted to where Tiffany was standing. "'Well, it looks like I've warmed them up. Hear them clearing their throats. I reckon the pastor will be singing by the end of the evening. And I could do with another drink. It's thirsty work singing.' There was a wink when she said to Tiffany, "'Human being first, which second? Hard to remember, easy to do.' It was magic. Magic had turned a hall full of people who mostly did not know very many of the other people there into human beings who knew they were among other human beings, and, right now, that was all that needed to matter. At which point Preston tapped her on the shoulder. He had a curious kind of worried smile on his face. "'Sorry, miss, but I'm on duty, worse look, and I think you ought to know we have three more visitors.' "'Can't you just show them in?' said Tiffany. "'I would like to do that, miss, only they are stuck on the roof at the moment.' "'The sound made by three witches is a lot of swearing, miss.' "'If there had been swearing, the new arrivals had apparently run out of breath "'by the time Tiffany located the right window and crawled out onto the lead roof of the castle. "'There wasn't very much to hold on to, and it was pretty misty, "'but she carefully made her way out there on her hands and knees and headed towards the grumbling. "'Are there any witches up here?' she said, "'and out of the gloom came the voice of somebody not even trying to keep their temper.' "'And what in the seven hells would you do if I said no, Miss Tiffany Aching? "'Mrs. Proust, what are you doing here, holding on to a gargoyle? "'Get us down right now, my dear, because these are not my stones, "'and Mrs. Happenstance needs the privy.' "'Tiffany crawled a little further, well aware of the sheer drop an inch away from her hand. "'Preston has gone to fetch a rope. Do you have a broomstick?' "'A sheep crashed into it,' said Mrs. Proust. "'Tiffany could just make her out now.' "'You crashed into a sheep in the air. "'Maybe it was a cow or something. "'What are those things that go snuffle-snuffle? "'You ran into a flying hedgehog. "'No, as it happened, we were down low looking for a bush for Mrs. Happenstance. "'There was a sigh in the gloom. "'It's because of her trouble, poor soul. "'We've stopped at a lot of bushes on the way here, believe me. "'And do you know what? "'Inside every single one of them is something that stings, bites, kicks, screams, howls, squelches, farts enormously, goes all spiky, tries to knock you over, or does an enormous pile of poo. "'Haven't you people up here heard about porcelain?' "'Tiffany was taken aback. "'Well, yes, but not in fields.' "'They would be all the better for it,' said Mrs. Proust. "'I've ruined a decent pair of boots I have.' "'There was a clinking noise in the mist, "'and Tiffany was relieved to hear Preston say, "'I have forced open the old trapdoor, ladies, "'if you would be kind enough to crawl this way.' "'The trapdoor opened into a bedroom, "'clearly one that had been slept in last night by a woman. "'Tiffany bit her lip. "'I think this is where the Duchess is staying. "'Please don't touch anything. "'She's bad enough as it is.' "'Duchess sounds posh,' said Mrs. Proust. "'What kind of a Duchess, may I ask?' "'Tiffany said, "'The Duchess of Keepsake. "'You saw her when we had that bit of difficulty in the city, you know, at the King's Head? 
They've got a huge property about thirty miles away. That's nice, said Mrs. Proust, in a way that suggested that it probably wasn't going to be very nice, but would be very interesting, and probably embarrassing to someone who wasn't Mrs. Proust. I remember her, and I remember thinking when I got back from all that, where have I seen you before, my lady? Do you know anything about her, my dear? Well, her daughter told me that a terrible fire took away her property and her whole family before she married the Duke. Mrs. Proust brightened up, although it was the brightness on the edge of a knife. Oh, really, she said, her voice all treacle. Just fancy that. I look forward to meeting the lady again and offering my condolences. Tiffany decided that this was a puzzle she had no time to unravel, but there were other things to think about. Um, she began, looking at the very tall lady somehow trying to hide behind Mrs. Proust, who turned around and said, Oh, dear me, where are my manners? Oh, I know, I never had a need to start with. Tiffany Aching, this is Miss Cambrick, better known as Long, Tall, Short, Fat Sally. Miss Cambrick is being trained by old Mrs. Happenstance, who was the one you briefly saw hurrying down the stairs with one aim in mind. Sally suffers terribly from tides, poor thing. I had to bring them both, because Sally had the only working broomstick I could find, and she wouldn't leave Mrs. Happenstance behind. It was the devil keeping the broomstick trim. Don't worry, she'll be back to about five foot six in a few hours. Of course, she's a martyr to ceilings. And Sally, you better get after Mrs. Happenstance right now. She waved a hand, and the younger witch scurried off, looking nervous. When Mrs. Proust gave orders, they tended to be obeyed. She turned back to Tiffany. The thing that is after you has got a body now, young lady. He has stolen the body of a murderer locked up in the tanty. You know what? Before the bloke got out of the building, he killed his canary. They never kill their canary. It's what you don't do. You might beat another prisoner over the head with an iron bar in a riot, but you never kill a canary. That would be evil. It was a strange way to introduce the subject, but Mrs. Proust didn't do small talk, or, for that matter, reassurance. I thought something like this would happen, said Tiffany. I knew it would. What does he look like? We lost him a couple of times, said Mrs. Proust. Calls of nature and so on. He might have broken into a house for better clothes, I couldn't see. He won't care about the body. He'll run it until he finds another one, or it falls to pieces. We'll keep an eye out for him. And this is your steading? Tiffany sighed. Yes, and now he is chasing me like a wolf after a lamb. Then, if you care about people, you must get rid of him quick, said Mrs. Proust. If a wolf gets hungry enough, it will eat anything. And now, where are your manners, Miss Aching? We're cold and wet, and by the sound of it, there is food and drink downstairs, am I right? Oh, I'm sorry, and you've come all this way to warn me, said Tiffany. Mrs. Proust waved a hand as if that wasn't important. I'm sure long, tall, short, fat Sally and Mrs. Happenstance would like some refreshments after a long ride, but I'm just tired, she said. And then, to Tiffany's horror, she flung herself backwards and landed on the Duchess's bed with only her boots sticking off the end, dripping water. This Duchess, she said, has she been giving you any more grief at all? Well, yes, I'm afraid so, said Tiffany. She doesn't seem to have any respect for anybody lower than a king, and even then I suspect that's only a maybe. She bullies her daughter, too, she added, and as an afterthought pointed out, one of your customers, in fact. And then she told Mrs. Proust everything about Letitia and the Duchess, because Mrs. Proust was the kind of woman you told everything to, and as the story unfolded, Mrs. Proust's grin grew wider, and Tiffany needed no witch skill to suspect that the Duchess was going to be in some trouble. I thought so. I never forget her face. Have you ever heard of the music hall, my dear? Oh, no, you wouldn't have, not out here. It's all about comedians and singers and talking dog acts. And, of course, dancing girls. I think you're getting the picture here, are you not? Not such a bad job for a girl who could shake a handsome leg. 
especially since half the show all the posh gentlemen will be waiting outside the stage door to take them out for a lovely dinner and so on. The witch took off her pointy hat and dropped it on the floor beside the bed. Can't abide broomsticks, she said. They give me calluses in places where nobody should have calluses. Tiffany was at a loss. She couldn't demand that Mrs. Proust get off the bed. It wasn't her bed. It wasn't her castle. She smiled. In fact, it really wasn't her problem. How nice to find a problem that wasn't yours. Mrs. Proust, she said, could I persuade you to come downstairs? There are some other witches down here who I'd really like you to meet. Preferably when I'm not in the room, she thought to herself, but I doubt if that would be possible. Hedge witches, Mrs. Proust sniffed. Although there's nothing actually wrong with hedge magic, she went on. I met one once who could run her hands over a privet hedge, and three months later it had grown into the shape of two peacocks and an offensively cute little dog holding a privet bone in its mouth. And all this, mark you, without a pair of shears being anywhere near it. Why did she want to do that? said Tiffany, astounded. I doubt very much that she actually wanted to do it, but somebody asked her to do it and paid good money too, and strictly speaking, topiary is not actually illegal, although I rather suspect that one or two folk are going to be the first up against the hedge when the revolution comes. Hedge witches! That's what we call country witches in a city. Oh, really? said Tiffany, innocently. Well, I don't know what we call city witches in the country, but I am sure that Mistress Weatherwax will tell you. She knew she should have felt guilty about this, but it had been a long day, after a long week, and a witch has got to have some fun in her life. The way downstairs took them past Letitia's room. Tiffany heard voices and a laugh. It was Nanny Ogg's laugh. You couldn't mistake that laugh. It was the kind of laugh that slapped you on the back. Then Letitia's voice said, "'Does that really work?' And Nanny said something under her breath that Tiffany couldn't quite hear, but whatever it was, it made Letitia almost choke with giggling. Tiffany smiled. The blushing bride was being instructed by somebody who had probably never blushed in her life, and it seemed quite a happy arrangement. At least she was not bursting into tears every five minutes. Tiffany led Mrs. Proust down into the hall. It was amazing to see that all people needed to make them happy was food and drink and other people. Even with Nanny Og no longer chivying them along, they were filling the place with, well, people being people. And, standing where she could see very nearly everybody, Granny Weatherwax. She was talking to Pastor Egg. Tiffany drifted up to her carefully, judging from the priest's face that he wouldn't mind at all if she intruded. Granny Weatherwax could be very forthright on the subject of religion. She saw him relax as she said, "'Mistress Weatherwax, may I introduce to you Mrs. Proust, from Ankh Morpork, where she runs a remarkable emporium?' Swallowing, Tiffany turned to Mrs. Proust and said, "'May I present to you Granny Weatherwax?' She stepped back as the two elderly witches looked at one another and then held her breath. The hall fell silent, and neither of them blinked. And then, surely not, Granny Weatherwax winked, and Mrs. Proust smiled. "'Very pleased to make your acquaintance,' said Granny. "'How very nice to see you,' said Mrs. Proust. They exchanged a further glance, and turned to Tiffany Aching, who suddenly understood that old, clever witches had been older and cleverer for much longer than her. Granny Weatherwax almost laughed when Mrs. Proust said— "'We don't need to know one another's names to recognise one another, "'but can I suggest, young lady, that you start breathing again?' "'Granny Weatherwax lightly and primly took Mrs. Proust's arm "'and turned to where Nanny Og was coming down the stairs, "'followed by Letitia, who was blushing in places where people don't often blush, "'and said, "'Do come with me, my dear. "'You must meet my friend Mrs. Og, who buys quite a lot of your merchandise.' "'Tiffany walked away. "'For a brief moment in time there was nothing for her to do.' She looked down the length of the hall, where people were still gathering in little groups, and saw the Duchess by herself. Why did she do it? Why did she walk over to the woman? 
Maybe, she thought, if you knew you were going to be facing a horrible monster, it is as well to get in a little practice. But to her absolute amazement, the Duchess was crying. "'Can I help in any way?' said Tiffany. She was the immediate subject of a glare, but the tears were still falling. "'She's all I've got!' said the Duchess, looking over at Letitia, who was still trailing Nanny Og. "'I'm sure Roland will be a very considerate husband. I hope she will think that I have given her a good grounding to get her safely through the world.' "'I think you've definitely taught her many things,' said Tiffany. But the Duchess was now staring at the witches, and without looking at Tiffany she said, "'I know we've had our differences, young lady, but I wonder if you can tell me who that lady is up there, one of your sister witches, talking to the remarkably tall one?' Tiffany glanced around for a moment. "'Oh, that's Mrs. Proust. She's from Ankh-Morpork, you know. Is she an old friend of yours? She was asking about you only a little while ago.' The Duchess smiled, but it was a strange little smile. If smiles had a colour, it would have been green. Oh, she said, that was, um, she paused, swaying a little. Very kind of her, she coughed. I am so glad that you and my daughter appear to be close chums, and I would like to tender you my apologies for any hastiness on my part in recent days. I would also very much like to tender you and the hard-working staff here my apologies for what may have appeared to be high-handed behaviour, and I trust you will accept that these stemmed from a mother's determination to do the very best for her child. She spoke very carefully, the words coming out like children's coloured building blocks, and between the blocks, like mortar, were the unspoken words, Please, please, don't tell people I was a dancer in a music hall, please. "'Well, of course, we're all on edge,' said Tiffany. "'Least said, soonest mended, as they say. "'Regrettably,' said the Duchess. "'I don't think I said least.' "'Tiffany noticed that there was a large wine-glass in her hand, "'and it was almost empty. "'The Duchess watched Tiffany for a while, and then continued, "'A wedding almost straight after a funeral, is that right?' "'Some people think that it's bad luck to move a wedding once it's planned,' said Tiffany. "'Do you believe in luck?' said the Duchess. "'I believe in not having to believe in luck,' said Tiffany.' "'But, Your Grace, I can tell you in truth that at such times the universe gets a little closer to us. "'They are strange times, times of beginnings and endings, dangerous and powerful, "'and we feel it, even if we don't know what it is. "'These times are not necessarily good and not necessarily bad. "'In fact, what they are depends on what we are.' "'The Duchess looked down at the empty glass in her hand. "'For some reason I think I should be taking a nap.' She turned to head towards the stairs, nearly missing the first step. There was a burst of laughter from the other end of the hall. Tiffany followed the Duchess, but stopped to tap Letitia on the shoulder. "'If I was you, I'd go and talk to your mum before she goes upstairs. I think she'd like to talk to you now.' She bent down and whispered in her ear, "'But don't tell her too much about what Nanny Og said.' Letitia looked about to object, saw Tiffany's expression, thought better of it, and intercepted her mother. And now, suddenly, Granny Weatherwax was at Tiffany's side. After a while, as if addressing the air, Granny said, "'You have a good steading here. Nice people. And I'll tell you one thing. He is near.' Tiffany noticed that the other witches, even long, tall, short, fat Sally, were now lining up just behind Granny Weatherwax. She was the focus of their stares, and when a lot of witches are staring at you, you can feel it like the sun. "'Is there something you want to say?' said Tiffany. "'There is, isn't there?' It wasn't often, and in fact, now Tiffany came to think of it, it wasn't ever that she had seen Granny Weatherwax look worried. "'You are certain that you can best the cunning man, are you not? I see you don't wear midnight yet.' "'When I am old, I shall wear midnight,' said Tiffany. "'It's a matter of choice. 
And, Granny, I know why you are here. It is to kill me if I fail, isn't it? Blast it, Granny Weatherwax said. You are a witch, a good witch. But some of us think it might be best if we insisted on helping you. No, said Tiffany. My steading, my mess, my problem. No matter what, said Granny. Definitely. Well, I commend you for your adherence to your position, and wish you... No, not luck, but certainty. There was a susurration among the witches, and Granny snapped sharply. She has made her decision, and that, ladies, is it. No contest, said Nanny Og with a grin. I very nearly pity him. Kick him in the... Uh, well, kick him any way you can, Tiff. It's your ground, said Mrs. Proust. How can a witch do anything but succeed on her own home ground? Granny Weatherwax nodded. If you have let pride get the better of you, then you have already lost. But if you grab pride by the scruff of the neck and ride it like a stallion, then you may have already won. And now I think it's time for you to prepare, Miss Tiffany Aching. Do you have a plan for the morning? Tiffany looked into the piercing blue eyes. Yes. Not to lose. That's a good plan. Mrs. Proust shook Tiffany with a hand that was prickly with warts and said, By happy accident, my girl, I think I should go and slay a monster myself.' 